Women Married, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Matilda Week on We Read the Book. I'm Adam Heap. I'm Lois Mitchell. And we're joined today by a very special guest uh, from the Australian production of Matilda. Please welcome Marika Aubrey. Hello. Uh, so Marika, do you want to tell our listeners uh, what you do, what you get up to on stage? All right. Well, I'm, I'm Mrs. Wormwood and uh, in Matilda the Musical here in Australia. So yeah, we're, we're really um, grateful to have Marika on today. And we're, we're, we still are going to just be we're talking about um, the book and the movie, but um, we might then throw in how the musical is different a, a couple of times because, um, yeah, we have this third text to cover. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I'm your target cool. audience because I, I love books and love films and love, love always seeing that journey from, you know, the novel to the – I'm always dragging friends to, why are we seeing this film? Well, it's because I read the book and I want to see how it, you know – so um, the fact that this all ties in with what I'm doing at the moment is kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. And we really urge you as well, if you haven't gone to see Matilda yet on <laughs> stage and it's coming to a place near you, please do. It's an amazing, amazing show and really worth uh, yeah. the price of admission. Spoilers, we love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, will we love the book and the film though? That's uh, up for discussion. We'll get to that in a short amount of time. Uh, for now, we'll do our question of the week. So in the book, Matilda loves to read and over the course of the story develops telekinetic powers. If you could use any superpower to teach mean adults a lesson, what superpower would you use and why? Uh, Lois. Oh, gosh, you put me on the spot, even though you told me the question 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Um, That's the best thing about hosting is I never have to go first. (laughs) I mean, telekinesis is just so perfect, but let's go mind reading and say if I could know people's dirty secrets just like know all their all their skeletons then um obviously that would be hugely beneficial to punishing people who've wronged me somehow (laughs) (laughs) so no one in my life is as appalling as the characters in this book to be fair so maybe they don't deserve it (laughs) I think I I don't know how you would get your mind to control this but if you could somehow get like the grown-ups on this planet to to do you know the right thing according to what you you know, like we've we've got some we've got some serious stuff happening on this planet right now, and if you could somehow get that a bit more sorted, wouldn't that be a lovely thing for the mankind? The ability to influence politics. <laughs> Is that what I'm, I'm asking? Maybe. I I'm think you're sure. both talking about being a dictator. <laughs> no, it's the yeah, power. It's the power of democracy. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here going, how can I make this sound like a superpower without just sounding like I'm righteous and <laughs> a bit bossy? Mind control. Fail. <laughs> it's okay to be bossy when you're correct. Yeah. No, like, I want everyone to be right. Hang on, wait. Wait a second. <laughs> um, personally for me, uh, it, it's, it's a toss-up between two. I, like, I was first thinking super speed. But I think in the end I settled on invisibility because the things you could get up to would be just fantastic. You can sneak around wherever you want. You can, you know, oh, it's just the, the possibilities but are. I never understand the invisibility one because people apparently when they're asked, I, I cannot believe that I'm about to say this, but I did read an article once about people being asked about superpowers and given the choice between flying and invisibility, a lot of people chose invisibility. Yeah, and that I don't I understand don't, yeah, no. because... What's the point of being invisible if if only to hear things that you probably don't need to hear? Yeah, yeah. I think it's not so What's much that. To be gained? I just want I just want to hover things in the air and throw them at people. Okay, well that's fine. Like that, you know, <laughs> just just mild torture. Yeah, just scare people. <laughs> you just want to mess with people and play yeah, practical yeah, yeah, jokes. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like if you could give me flying, I would do it. But I don't know how that would help me. Like that take, would help take me on mean adults. Yeah. So yeah. 
Hmm, alright, uh, we're going to move on and talk about Matilda. So we're discussing the 1988 novel by Roald Dahl. Uh, this is our third Roald Dahl text on here. We're uh, really rollicking through. They're good third, movies. The third? Is this the third? Or uh, yeah, Charlie. BFG. BFG and this. Yep. So, yeah. Good, uh, good source of material for us. Uh, and the 1996 film directed by Danny DeVito. Yeah. I was surprised um, to learn that he directed this. And produced it. And starred and, and narrated it. And narrated it. He must and really, it's good. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Quite yeah. the passion project, I suspect. Yeah. Danny DeVito can kind of be hit or miss for me, like, because like, he's, he is kind of that one note character. Um, but. Well, especially, it was funny going back and rewatching this for me because um, his most recent work is Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm. And he's so awful on that show. And then I actually remembered, like, he's in this and he's also the satyr in Hercules. And so he did do for a while, I think, and he's in Twins. Twins, which is also like a, that great period in the 90s yeah. and 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Like, that was when I was. Um, you know, a young sort of teenager, and he was around and he was in everything, and he was wonderful. And he was in a lot of family friendly movies. Really, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's it kind of reminded me that oh yeah, he's not he's not actually he actually had a long period where he was in lots and lots of stuff. Mm. But I watched the film um, for the first time since I realized I haven't actually watched it since I was a kid when this was released. So what was it? 96. 96. You were saying? So I was 14 and I suspect I went to the cinema and saw it because I remember it vividly. Um, and then when I got cast in the musical, I made a conscious decision to not watch it just for no other reason than I thought, ah, that's probably not going to help me tell this particular story in this way. And I want to kind of go into it with a fresh head, blah, blah, blah. And so I haven't, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And so it was really interesting to go back yesterday and watch it full out. And the first thing I noticed, of course, when it started, speaking of Danny DeVito was, that's right. The dude narrates it. Like, did he think that his, like, it's so clearly Danny DeVito mm. who's playing Mr. Wormwood and narrating yeah, the film. It's really and it's such strange. an odd thing to do. I don't know if when I was a kid I really noticed it, to be honest. I wonder um, if Like how did. I didn't notice that it was Paul Rubens who was one of the FBI agents. No, I remember noticing that because yeah. he was so iconic as Pee Wee. Yeah. Well, see, I was six when it came out. Oh, no, younger. All right, all right. <laughs> see, all right, so I... I <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I hadn't, I've never seen this film before. I watched it literally this morning and I wow. wasn't even aware it was a film until about two weeks ago. And so oh, when, I, but when I watched this morning and I was seeing those FBI agents, I'm like, I thought it was a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I'm like, that's ages ago. So obviously it couldn't have been because he probably would have been tiny baby back then. Yeah, well, well he was in Third Rock at this time as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, it's not impossible, right? No, he really might be no. on it. But uh, the person next to him was like, is that Bill Murray? Oh, yeah. But he no, does look a bit like Bill Murray. Yeah. But Tracy Walter. Yeah, more just a resemblance than anything else. I think uh, what I recognised him from was um, uh, Boston Legal. He's one of the uh, – he, he leaves pretty early on in the proceedings, but he, I'm pretty sure he's one of the uh, partners in Boston Legal. Yep. Right. And he's like – doesn't isn't really in the office very much. He just pops in and out kind of thing. <laughs> Before we talk about the cast at large then, uh, we've got to decide which we think is better, the book or the film. So I'm going to throw to you first, Marika. Well, I I really love both, um, but I'm team book 100%. Uh, I'm going to go book, but it's like the Lord of the Rings last time. It's very very close. 
I'm going to be the dissenting voice. I'm going to pick the film, uh, although I, I do love... And again, that's not a slide on the book at all because it's a fantastic book. Roald Dahl finds it very hard to write anything bad. But I think the film almost has a sort of magic for me which which kind of enhances that just a little bit. I like seeing it on screen. Mm. Yeah. But we'll talk about why when we get to it. Uh, for those of you who've never seen or read or been to the musical of Matilda, I'll give you a brief plot summary. So Matilda is the story of a very young genius girl... Uh, named Matilda Wormwood. Uh, Her intelligence is unappreciated by everyone except for her teacher, Miss Honey, but Matilda develops telekinetic powers and shows her parents and school principal, Mrs. Trunchbull, just how powerful one little girl can really be. Oh, that was a lovely little crazy that was. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the cast. Uh, We've already mentioned Danny DeVito. Uh, I mean, he kind of speaks for himself. He's the narrator. He's And uh, cast against type a little bit in this film in the sense that, you know, he's not... He's not what's described in the book no. necessarily, um, uh, but it, but it seems to fit on him really well. I just think with adult eyes, that narration is so funny. I think it's his height that that was most different from the book for me. Like I always imagined him as being sl- like a taller, yeah. thinner kind of built person. But they're married in real life, so his real life wife is real Rhea Perlman, who plays Mrs. I think Wormwood. they're actually divorced now. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that's, I have but not they caught up on my Hollywood time. marriage yeah. gossip, but <laughs> at the time they were married, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and so yeah. I think there is that lovely dynamic between them and she's taller than him and, and you know, it was quite the family affair, you sense. Um, I thought it was funny. So you said they play against type. I, I think... Um, they're both the direct opposite of what they're described in the book because he's supposed to be ratty, so, like, tall and thin, and she's supposed to be a very large woman in the mm. book, and then it's it's kind of flipped mm. in the movie. So the dynamic's still there. It's just the opposite. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yet really it works. It's it. still in terms of the truth seed of those characters. I think it works yeah, really definitely. well. Yeah, definitely, mm. yeah. Yeah, so we, we should point out here that the big difference, major difference here is that um, the book is set in England and the – because Roald Dahl's books are, and the movie is set in America. Much like most of the Roald Dahl movies are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I don't think in terms of characterization it loses anything here. I guess they're portrayed in the book as being common, if you can use that term, um, a bit crass, a bit um, not interested in the finer things such as reading. Mm-hmm. Um, in the highbrow things, they are interested in having money and, and yeah. spending it in ridiculous ways. Yes, yeah. but... Those people exist all across the world. So this, this is this is showing the American stereotype of that and the book is showing the British stereotype of that. Well, so. apparently Mr. Wormwood was based off of uh, a figure in Roald Dahl's neighbourhood. Oh, England, okay. Which is interesting. That, yeah. that was someone he kind of envisaged as being a real-life person. Well, I didn't know that tidbit. I look forward to taking that to my own <laughs> Mr. Wormwood later on today. <laughs> but I did notice as the credits rolled on this film that um, Lissy who was the name of the doll. There was, there's I noticed a, that too. Yeah, so there's a, in the adaptation to film, they had this doll that meant a lot to Miss Honey and the doll's name was Lissy. Lissy Doll. Lissy Doll, yeah. And funnily enough, the executive producer of the film is Lissy Dahl. So I went and looked up Lissy Dahl and Lissy Dahl is, of course, Roald Dahl's wife. So she was an executive producer on the film, which says to me that even though it was, you know, put into American hands and stuff, she obviously approved and was very you know, involved mm. in that process and gave it her blessing and yeah. Was when did Roald Dahl pass away? I was just wondering 70s, that. Seventies, I think. Oh yeah. no, hang on. Okay. No. no, that is not true. No, um I'm he was in his seventies is what I meant to say. Okay, so he was still alive when the film came out? Yeah, he lived quite 
Yeah, I, well, I remember he, he passed away. That like, I thought he ago. passed away in the early two or in the in the two thousands. I think was my the noughties. That was I can't remember, but <laughs> totally wrong. I mean, Matilda was written in nineteen eighty eight, so he must have been around. No, he died in nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Okay, yeah. so he so, wasn't alive. So Matilda was one of his last last books. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting because I think this is I probably hadn't read the book since I was very little, and I found it just to be really strong writing, really good writing. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if that's like one of the last things he wrote, you know, it's probably the at the end of his career. It's, yes. You know, his skill at writing really shows, I think. Yeah. yeah. I love the book. I mean, I was the exact right age for it when it came out. So I was uh, 88. I was seven years old. And I still have my original copy from being that age with my name scrawled inside it. Aww. and. And it's the, that original cover that's really iconic. Um, so the film for me has that magic that you speak of when you talk about the... Um, sorry, the book for me has the magic that you speak of when you speak about the film because I remember really vividly reading that book and, and treasuring it and, and, and so it's, yeah, yeah, it's all tied up in my I think childhood. The, book, the books... Roald, uh, we, well, I've got to mention this because I don't know where else we'll slot it into this podcast, but... We've got to mention the illustrations by Quentin Blake. Again, yeah. he is absolutely gold. Yeah, on like, point. It just brings Roald Dahl's characters to life in such a way that is authentic and true and yet allows you to visualise in a book yes. what those characters are really. I missed that is. because I listened to the audio book this time, um, which is read by Kate Winslet, and she does a great job. Oh, how heaven. Um, she does all the voices and, um, you know, even the voices of the little kids are all differentiated. Oh, it's just lovely. Oh, what a great, yeah. great thing. I would recommend that um, mm. if you don't have time to actually sit down and read it. Yeah, the audiobook's really, really lovely. For but the rec- I did miss the Quentin Blake illustrations, yeah. yeah. For the record, Matilda was fourth last book, uh, but only, I think Easy Trot was the last book probably well-known one that was kind of released before he died in 1990 oh, okay. and then there were two posthumous oh okay um so uh, that's danny devito covered uh, <laughs> yeah we gotta go a bit quicker <laughs> uh um we can't we probably shouldn't go any further without mentioning mara wilson as matilda yeah she's kind of important and she was the real child actor of that day wasn't she I yeah remember, i remember so watching her in miracle on 40 34th street and mrs doubtfire oh that's right she was the little girl in mrs doubtfire she's such a wonderful actor believe she still acts now. Uh, she's mostly capacity. retired, yeah. She does little bits here and there, but right. mostly a writer these days. Yeah, she's, cool. um, for those people who are podcast savvy, um, she's actually on Welcome to Night Vale. Yes, I was She's um, the old woman who secretly lives in your home, I think that's the character's called. Yeah. Which is, yeah, really interesting when you're listening to it. You're like, oh, you're Matilda. What are you doing being this creepy <laughs> character? But, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And she's got an autobiography out. It's called Where Am I Now? Oh. Which is, I think, I would really love funny. to read that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I yeah. was um, Googling, you know, around this on my train ride here and read something very sad, but it it's kind of astounds me that during the filming, her mother passed away. So while she's filming Matilda, wow. her mother passes away, and um, the reason that this is being discussed online is apparently the crew and everything were saying she was incredible and tremendous and stoic and brave and beautiful and sensitive and all the things you'd imagine a Matilda to be throughout the shooting of it. So I thought I just thought that was a, a, an insane yeah. accomplishment, I guess, um, to, 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 um, to experience that through what would have been for her a really intense filming. She's definitely well-picked for this She's for wonderful this movie. in She's it. got, I don't know how to phrase this, she's got that kind of oppressed child 
she's feel very about. Sad. Yeah, yeah. She's a very tragic kind of yeah. little figure, but one with a lot of soul. Yeah, the big watery eyes. Yeah, that, that's really what did it, I think, mm-hmm. is the eyes for me. She's not just cute. She also, she really does carry the story, yeah, which there's, there's you depth. can't really say with a lot of child actors. No. Like, they'll just play off the cuteness. No, Matilda's not that. I mean, we I don't want to talk about work too much because we're here to talk about the book and the film. No, please but, do. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like we, we, Matilda isn't that kind of cutesy child actor type. Um, she has to be quite mature in some way. She has to be enigmatic and, um, and yeah, carry the show or the book or the, the film, whatever the, the genre is. So it's a quite grown-up and yet approachable. It's a, it's a real, you know, contradiction, that character, and she's mysterious but she's lovable but she's doesn't give anything away and she's obviously, you know, older and smarter than her years but at the same time she's got to be a little girl. It's a really fascinating and extraordinary type of person yeah. to fill that character, I think. There's a bit in the book where um, Miss Honey starts telling her her story and she's sort of like, I, I don't really know why I'm telling you this. Yes. But it's because, I guess it's because I feel like we're equals and I'm talking to another mm. grown-up or a grown-up in a child's body. And, and I, I think the beauty of the adaptations as I've seen them is that they've nailed that. Yes. The, the adult in a child's body, it's not irritating as like precocious children can be it's it really is just like an adult talking to an adult yes. but but still being that child and that she's beautifully blissfully unaware of her amazing ability yeah, yeah. she's not arrogant no before we move on, I do want to briefly mention how adorable Sarah Magdalene as the four-year-old Matilda is. Oh, the one yeah. who's in the library and wandering down the streets and everything. I was just like, oh, you are so cute. <laughs> yeah, I cried at that bit. Yeah, I also cried very much. <laughs> um, just the, I guess watching it as an adult being horrified at the idea of this tiny child, especially in the movie because it's presented as sort of a New York like sort yes. of city it's not a town yes it's so true um, i thought the same thing with my grown-up eyes she's going like 10 blocks instead <laughs> of two streets yeah. but it's like it's tragic comedy that little bit because yeah. it's because while you're like oh you're on your own you're just like oh, you're on your own you can do it yeah she's so adorable i know but as a kid i just went oh that's really cool she's walking to the library of course she is like go matilda just, she's got these tiny little steps <laughs> and her shoulders stay like perfectly still behind <laughs> i love it it's great she's so cute uh, we've already mentioned rhea perlman as mrs wormwood yes uh, your predecessor, I guess. Well, which is one of many. There's Mrs. Wormwood all around the yeah. world as we speak, and we all have different takes on I imagine, it. Yeah, I imagine she plays a very different take than your own. Uh, I mean. Well, I mean, the biggest... I mean, Mrs. Wormwood is the most, I would say, adapted almost out of all the characters that have come through the adaptations. Gosh, I've used that word a lot. But I just mean um, because she was um, kind of quite sedentary and kind of just working to compliment not working to compliment Mr. Wormwood but it was sort of in the in in the background a little bit more in the book I guess and then obviously when you do the film you you have to find a different way to do that because she can't just be playing bingo that's a pretty boring thing to watch yeah. and the same I guess in a, in a musical so there's they're, they're quite different incarnations of the same but I, I mean I feel like their essence is still obviously still honoring Roald Dahl's uh, writing but in the musical for anyone who hasn't seen it she, she um, channels all that kind of um energy into being a ballroom dancer um which is that replaces the kind of obsession with bingo and that becomes a more theatrical way for uh us to get an insight into how mrs wormwood is yeah 
I mean, so in the movie, they go for a very glam sort of yes. uh, Reno, Las Vegas kind yes. of lady. She's into the, the betting and the cards and mm. she's quite a schmoozer. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. And I think they also, there's not really any storyline in the book where she's kind of uh, entertaining men, but there is in the movie because she brings the two guys who they say they're self You get the sense that she's this a people the, person. This is the best joke is that yeah. there's their, their speedboat salesman. That is yeah. really funny. <laughs> yeah. so so I just love what? little Mara Wilson just walking through all the time going, there are cops. And yeah. then and just the parents ignoring her. And every yeah. time she comes home, she just like looks at them and they're doing dumb stuff in yeah. their car. And... Um, but then that gets in the musical, she's kind of flirting with her dance instructor. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Who I, doesn't I, exist in either the film or the book. Yeah. So, again, they've kind of, you know, it's quite clever that Dennis Kelly did that and that's the, the playwright of Matilda the Musical, um, that he, you know, he found a way to make it work for musical theatre that, you know, create something new without ruining or, or disabandoning. Yeah. Is that a word? Without um, leaving behind what was yeah, in the original Yeah, it's that text. real, um, even more so for the musical, I think it's that real show-don't-tell thing. Mm. So in the book you can just say, oh, she's boring, and then just leave it. Yeah. And then in the movie and in the musical you, you can't really do that. You have to find ways of illustrating to the audience how the character is how they are. Yes. And yeah. what makes a good adaptation is not making making your movie or musical literal from the book. Yeah. It's taking the spirit of that and adapting it to make sure you find the best way of portraying the story on And I think in this instance they've actually done that really well in because you look across the three and there's quite specific instances of big difference, you know, in in plot and in character. And yet, and yet we all as people who know Matilda don't make that differentiation, I guess, in our brains. It's all still got that magic that we yeah. love and that we that first got us either into the book or, or the film or the musical. Yeah. Uh, very briefly, the other two kind of main characters, Embeth Davitz as Miss Honey. Do you know what? I had recast this role in my head as um, she is Electra and she's in 24. Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner. I had recast very, this role as Jennifer Garner. Sort of. She similar could totally face. be Miss Honey. Yeah. She'd be a beautiful Miss Honey. Yeah, I think, but the similar, I think she's got similar face structure, but I was like, yeah, it's Jennifer Garner. And then I watched the movie, like, it's totally not Jennifer Garner. I knew I recognised it from somewhere, I was like, but only somewhere very minor. I was like, because I'm a big superhero film fan. I was like, you have been in a superhero film, and she is Peter Parker's mum in the Amazing Spider-Man films. She's Ooh, Mary Parker. Yeah, we are. So I was like, that's where I knew you from. But but I agree. When I first saw her, I was like, is that Jennifer Garner? She yeah. looks very, very similar in the But face Jennifer especially. Garner, I think, would have been too young for this yeah, movie oh, at yeah, this yeah, point. Yeah, but yeah, surely. Yeah. Um, and then Pam Ferris as Mrs. Trunchbull. Yeah, you know, we have to unpack that because... Bow um, down. You know, this is... I mean, she looks like she's having the time of her life. Well, this is what she does, isn't it? Like, uh, I mean, I I knew her prior to this as uh, Aunt March from Harry Potter. Yes. Uh, the third film. Oh. Very similar sort of character. Um, although and a she's much a big role. deal in Britain. Oh, huge. You know, huge. Like, won multiple award winners. Yeah, and I, th- I believe she was on Darling Buds of May. Yeah. Like she's a real, stra- you know, everyone knows who she is. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and she's perfect in this film. Just, oh. just gold. Amazing. Uh, she manages to sell fear and and yet that mania as well. Like it's just the, all the bits which she's in is great. But also, I feel without going so over the top that this movie would be frightening for the age group that it's meant to be for. 
Um, Because that is a real fine line to tread, I think. Because you can really scare kids with, especially adults who, um, especially this storyline of adults who the kids know are doing wrong but can't overcome or spend the whole thing trying to overcome. Um, for some kids, that's a that's an actual real issue that they've got in their lives. So yeah. you you need to make sure. And and I wanted to talk about this, but probably we'll do it as we go through the plot. Um, how important this storyline is for those kids who might be having an adult in their life who maybe is abusive or mm. or that kind of thing. Because I think this storyline is really important for that. But yeah, I really liked her performance because it's just scary enough. But I don't remember as a kid being terrified of her. I remember being like, okay, well, this adult's scary, but not insurmountably scary. But it's clearly not... batty as well. Yeah. Particularly yeah. in the film. You can kind of push her to one side because you know that she... She's a bit ludicrous. Yeah. In, you know, in that, like, kind of... You know, like, there's that whole sequence in the film I noticed. There's, like, it pretty much becomes Home Alone, where yeah. they, Miss Honey and Matilda break into the house um, and, and they go through the house and there's this, like, chase scene and there's pots and pans coming downstairs and all of a sudden it's a completely different... You know, because it works really well for the mm. for the film genre, and and it and it's a bit of an action kind of romp through there. But I feel like she's even you know more manic or more ludicrous or silly than even what's in the musical. Yeah, I think one of the things that helps her be silly is the fact that like the sniffing of things to like mm. figure out who's guilty. And those close ups, the camera is, does a great job of getting close ups on her yeah. face. That's good good directorship. Uh, gets yeah. like it gets up real close in there, and you see like every detail of her face. And this isn't HD film at all; like this is filmed back in '96. But it's just a really well like pers- I love the perspective on the character. Like. It's so funny how that smelling and belching, which aren't in the book in that way, but that both Dennis Kelly and um, the writers on the film have pulled out of the book because it's so visceral and so delicious and so dull and and made into real featured moments like in the musical it's Trump puts her nose to the air and smells Bob Trotter's chocolatey burp and that's what makes her realize it's him and it's this you know really tightly wound brilliant moment of comedy and tension and all this and in the in the film you get these great close-ups of the sniffing and she's constantly you know able to work out things from you know, sniffing bits of cloth and ribbons and things. So it's funny that in both cases they pulled that out of the book yeah. and really turned them up. And I think that's something in the musical that one of the ways that they um, make that thing where it's a bit funny is is through the um, basically making Trunchbull a dame because we're both Adam and yeah. I are really into pantomime. Mm. So by having a man play Trunchbull, you are underlining the scariness a little bit or undermining sorry the scariness a little bit because the whole time the audience is like that's a bloke yeah <laughs> and you know not to say like you know men can't wear dresses or whatever but but it's it's using that kind of pantomime that's that's all I mean by that it's using that kind of pantomime thing of oh that's actually a, a dude in a dress or a dude in I, a... I've never asked the creatives but I'd love to know actually at what point that decision was made because um, it, it struck me when I was watching the film again. There's a line in it where one of the kids says to Trunchbull, um, sir. "Sir," and I thought that was really funny because I was like, "Oh gosh, that's that's." I mean, first of all, very funny, but second of all, I was like, "I wonder where that seed was born for them to." And perhaps it is the British pantomime tradition. You're probably very right there because 
Yeah. You know, that is such a strong thing in Britain. Yeah. The panto, pantos are so loved there. I can't speak for, you know, James Miller is our incredible trunchbull, um, and I don't want to speak for him, but I, I know that in his building of that role and, and certainly – uh, in the room, it, it, the idea that it's played by a man isn't meant to be much more than a, oh, that's a man, and then it's done with. It's not yeah. meant to be played in a pantomime style. No, definitely and not. And it's certainly not meant to be a running gag, you know, through the thing. It, it's just it's just part of it and, it, yeah. and it, and it, and it's in, like you're saying, it's sort of in the back of everyone's mind and it informs, I guess, the humour and the, the way you frame it. But James plays it very straight yeah you know yeah definitely doesn't have that silliness that a dame would have Mm. where where every joke would be underscored by the fact that it's exactly um but yeah i did when i first saw the musical i did think back to the fact that i've done so much pantomime and i'm I'm like oh it's a real just when you first see it it's like it's like oh that's that's that dame character and then it does move to one side but yeah it's very interesting Mm. I think it works really well for the theatre. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you can just kind of like analyse to death, but it's just so interesting. Mm. Yeah. So well, I guess when we want to talk about the plot and we'll uh, run through uh, this chronologically. So the book starts off with Matilda's youth uh, as a little girl and uh, how, I mean, you, you know, you get the standard kind of description of her intelligence and, and how bright she is and she's not like anyone else. Uh, at her age, and it's, 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 it's not that she's blessed with anything innately so much as out, outside of curiosity, and so she learns because she wants to, and that's I mean, that's a great message to teach to kids first off, um, but you, I, lo- I just love this sequence of her going to the library, just reading this is, is beautiful, like as she like makes her way out, because her parents neglect her, and uh, her brother's not as much of a jerk, I think, in the book as he tends to be in the film, um, but just kind of everyone around her family is sort of absent. I don't think he's an aggressor in the book. No. Uh, he just yeah, they really turned him into a bully her. in the film, didn't they? Yeah. If I remember correctly, he's just kind of a dummy in the musical, isn't he? Uh, well, well, yeah, and that, that that becomes kind of the running gag that, you know, all he ever does is sit on the couch and sort of say his name or, you know, repeat the odd word. He's yeah. quite... Yeah, what, what's, I can't even think of the right word. Like monosyllabic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. He's a bit of a caveman. Yeah, they've kind of um, made that the the, the, the the theatrical focus for him, that he's so he's so boring or so in mm. the background that he that's that's the joke. But uh, so Matilda heads down to the library, I think it's once, is it once a day? Or it's once a day to yeah, begin to with begin until with. she gets a library card. Yeah, because her dad goes out doing... Meanwhile, uh, Mrs. Phelps probably should have been onto that a bit sooner. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> wake up. Yeah, little four-year-old. But, Give her a library card. But as I, yeah, as I've already <laughs> mentioned, I love seeing this adaptation into the film because it's a beautifully shot sequence of her sitting in the library, and the illustrations again in the book are great of her because surrounded they, by books. Yeah, surrounded by books and and dwarfed even by the chair that she's sitting on. Yeah, I, I, it's I a just gorgeous love, image. Yeah. yeah, I love the bit where Mrs. She says, "I've read all the children's books." Can you find me one for grown-ups? And Mrs. Phelps walks up and down the stacks going, how do I pick an adult book for for a four-year-old? And she picks Great Expectations, which is such a perfect pick, I think. 
I really liked this bit as well because it was obviously Roald Dahl putting in all his favourite books. I was just about to say that mm. I, I think one of the reasons I love the book and the book will always be my favourite if I was asked to choose is because it is a real love note to literature. It's a yeah, real absolutely. celebration of all the icons of our libraries and what, what it is to have a library and to have safety in books and in libraries and characters like Mrs Phelps and teachers like Miss Honey. Like There's just such beauty and uh, and triumph in that I um uh, like you can really tell as you're reading this uh, especially that it is uh, it is a love letter and it's just him expressing his his love of learning and mm. books and and everything because I, I think I'm having known bits of his biography like his, his he, there was a lot of detail around his time at school you know it was a big deal for him so I love this story as a kind of manifestation of that of that love um can we talk about as well how the book actually starts with the narrator character talking about how if they were a teacher they'd tell the parents how horrible yes, their children were yeah. oh that bit is so purely dull and it's so, so good funny. it's so funny it just doesn't have any time for putting up with no. like, rubbish <laughs> like i like the one um your your daughter is as beautiful as an iceberg but also she has nothing underneath yeah <laughs> and just like all that it's just so funny and, and it does hit on that note which um, the musical hits on, which is like parents mostly will overestimate how beautiful their children are and how special they are, <laughs> which is definitely, I think, the major through line of the musical. It's like, oh, actually, there are some special people, but possibly not everyone. <laughs> yeah, and that irreverency about yeah. that is a really lovely thing in the day and age of helicopter parenting. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that I work at a school, I do see that quite a bit. And, um, you know, you hate to be like, well, when I was at school, but yeah, you really see these parents like micromanaging every aspect of their child's life. You go, it's not good for them. Yeah. It's really not. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole that we could discuss I think that's that a different whole podcast. Time. Isn't yeah. It? That's a whole other podcast. And also <laughs> I'm not a parent, so I can't judge. So need to leave well alone. But yeah, yeah I do find that, that part, that first bit of the book, so Delicious. funny. Yeah, it's really, really good. Mm. Yeah, Roald Dahl's really got a good humour about him. Like, I like... Because he almost... Ta- it's it's almost like an aside to the yeah. audience, you know? Like, it's it's not even 100% related to the characters or the plot or anything. It's just him opening up in a humorous way. And it really warms you to the story that's about to come. I yeah. got into trouble when I was in year one or year two because my teacher, Mrs. Kavikia, was reading... Um, <laughs> Oops, slam down. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Kavikia. Um, but she was reading Dahl to us in class for story time. You know, you'd come in from lunch and have 15 minutes or something or it might have been the end of the day and you'd read and she'd read to us. And I'm pretty sure it was the twits. And I laughed so hard at that exact type of humour and I got into trouble because I was laughing too much. I mean, I do have a very loud laugh. Um, but yeah, so it's it's not actually your fault, Mrs. Kavik here. I would have shushed me too. But um, yeah, that that humour is so dull. It's and it, it's no one like it, it's just a, a particular. I have not found another author that, you like know, how, how is it so specific to him, and yet it is. Mm. Yeah, and how brilliant that people like Dennis Kelly and Tim Minchin were able to, and and the screenwriters of this movie were able to find that without I don't know cutting cutting and pasting. I guess. Yeah. 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 So uh, after Matilda goes to the library, she uh, starts revenging herself on her parents and all the little slights that they're kind of giving her. So uh, she's basically, she eventually, as the more she learns, uh, the more she uh, is less willing to 
uh, accept them calling her stupid and a nitwit and unimportant. And so she begins uh, pulling little pranks on them. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy these. Uh, so she starts off with the glue in the hat, uh, which is recreated in the film. I love that. So in the film, she does the hair first yeah, and she then the hat. The hair first, and then, yeah. But in the book, it's the hat first. Yeah, and this is really important because in the book, this comes directly after Mr. Wormwood says to her, if people do wrong, they need to be punished. That I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically the idea. And it says in the book, what he meant to say it was, if children do wrong, they need to be punished. But um, he says people, and so that's when she goes, well, then I'll punish you because you're doing wrong. And um, I think it comes after she does the math equation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, she does a ma- multiple math equations in her head to add up his profit for the day and while he's asking her brother to do it on paper. And he says to her, well, you must have read my paper because no one could do that in their head. You know, completely ignoring the fact that he's got this brilliant child sitting in front of him, just accusing her of being a cheat. And yeah, so she does the, the, the glue in the hat and um yeah, that's such delicious revenge because especially because he prides himself on his looks. One thing I like about this is because it's normally in a kid's story, and this is because again, this is something Roald Dahl can do and get away with. Is any like in a normal kid's story like, oh revenge is bad and you should, you know, like turn the other cheek. There's like there is none of that here. Yeah. She just goes for it and it's great. And it's it's not rewarded per se, like because um, no one ever but her ever really knows that she did it or anything. She's not out to do it to, to win applause. Yeah, and she's not emotional about it. Matilda never gets like, she never rants, she never gets, she never throws a tantrum, she never loses her cool. It's all, it's all kind of a quiet intensity where she just logically decides, well, they deserve a consequence for their action and I'm now going to use my, you know, intelligence to facilitate that. Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, following the hat, she then proceeds to switch her father's hair oil out with her mother's uh, blonde her hair dye. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, that, that creates a striking image. I think, I, I like the, the way that it's portrayed in film. Obviously, the, the book is black and white, so you don't quite get the, the visual of that. But I like the... How is that done in the, the musical? Is that... Well, there's a bit of there's a bit of trickery, a bit of theatre magic, but he we do we do have this moment in the musical. But I they made his hair lurid green in the musical. I would imagine just so it pops more, yeah, and it just looks fabulous lights. with his green tweeds um, suit. Thank you, Rob Howell, our costume designer. <laughs> so um, that's the only change in the movie and the book. Uh, he his his hair goes like that awful dirty dishwater color that would happen if you put in to black brunette hair. Yeah, like really strong. But we we have it like fluoro green. Lovely. Mm. So she gets these nice moments of uh, getting some payback on her parents, uh, and in the book, eventually. Half a year late, they realise that she's supposed to be in school. This has changed in the film, so they basically... I think they just don't realise that she's aged. And I think it's... No, a, he wants her home for the packages. Yeah, yeah, so... so they know, sub, they just don't want to There's this subplot them. going on that her father is uh, receiving a stolen car parts <laughs> and they're getting sent to his house and not the office because the cops are watching the office. Uh, although they're also watching the house as a little yeah. way to find out. In the movie, it's the FBI. Yeah, it's yeah. It's America. yeah. Even and though I don't think the FBI would be in for like a small time. That's no, what I was thinking. No, no, I was no, like, you don't get no too it. Yeah, My grown up eyes were like, they're really like tailing this guy. <laughs> but you totally believe that as kids. That yeah, that's absolutely. What we do. If someone's committing a crime, all the police are watching them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're staking out the house and everything, which is very, very funny. But 
the so these storm carpets are arriving and they're keeping her home to receive the packages and it's not until uh so they kind of alter the, the order of this around so in the book she does end up going to school and i believe it's just it's just mentioned that uh she bought a car from wormwoods coincidentally like a couple yeah. of days prior to Matilda arriving. Trunchbull, you mean? Sorry, yeah. Trunchbull. What did yeah. I say? Well, you, you just continue. Yeah, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, so Matilda ends up getting to school as as a result of Trunchbull meeting Mr. Wormwood at the office and buying a car off of him. And, and she's like, oh, children are bad. And and, she, and, and he likes the idea she's going to get sent to this rubbish school and get taught a lesson by this really mean principal. So finally he relents. But either way, she ends up getting to school. Again, the order switched around here. I love the scene of Trunchbull in the courtyard at school in this movie. It's, uh, it gets really well filmed. They do a great aerial shot. Yeah, yeah. And you never see her face in close-up until she approaches Matilda herself. This moment where she tosses the kid by the pigtails is one of the funniest images you could ever have in your head. And it's so iconic now, isn't it? It's just, like, when, I, when I read it in the book, I'm like... Ow! Like, I could feel like I don't, never had pigtails, but I could feel it. The and the girl in the movie they chose for this, like they just must have gone. We need the most angelic looking child. The girl they picked for in the movie, and the way and she they put talks, her in pink um, pinafore. Oh god, like she's a onesie. so cute. <laughs> And so, like, it's all the more terrible because you're just like, oh, the poor baby, <laughs> and like her little high pitched voice. Oh, she's so cute. Yeah. The reveal is done here um, as she approaches. What's it, what's the what's the little girl's name? Um, Amanda Thrift. Yeah, Amanda Thrift. Yeah. Sorry. And so she kind of brushes Matilda out of the way. In the book, Trunchbull's reveal is saved for after we've met Miss Honey, and so you meet her first when she's in conversation with Miss yeah. Honey. Yeah, I like that they kept Hortensia in yes. the movie. So there's a big section of the book where an older girl in the top form is telling them about Trunchbull before they've actually met her. And she, that's when she tells them about the chokey, which is a cupboard that she puts kids in that's got spikes in it and and that kind of thing. And she's kind of trying to scare them, but um, Matilda and um, Lavender are being brave and strong. And they actually keep Hortensia in the movie. She, As Trunchbull's walking through the playground telling kids off, She's she is narrating a few of these things. Yeah. It's really, um, it's just a nice little nod to the book. I don't know, I liked it. Yeah. We, you mentioned Lavender. I love the little girl who plays her. Yeah. Okay, but she's drunk. Like that when we meet that first, like that first scene with that little girl, I was like, what? what's going on? Why is she asleep? Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's just not like a – I don't know how – because it's not unprofessional or anything. It's just not polished, but there's a, there's a beauty in that on the screen. Like She's just... drunk. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they had to give her medication and get her on film or something. But I just love the uh, – like the the personality about her and everything, she makes a good foil, I think, for for Matilda. Yeah, I like later in the movie where she flies up out of the way of Trunchbull, and then she when she comes out, she's like, "I didn't know I could do that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, so cute. Oh, you're so cute. Very very adorable. Uh, so we meet Miss Honey, who is gorgeous in both of them. It's just so nice to have a reprieve after you've spent so much time with the Wormwoods. Especially. Yes. Some some sweetness. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the bits that I think is really important for this book, this message of you might have a situation if you're a child that you can't get out of because you're a child and with family members or whatever. And But that doesn't mean that every person in your life is going to be like that. Um, it's kind of that it gets better message. And I think that's like really important 
way of framing this for this book that yeah. you that know role you, models can be teachers or people in your life that aren't your parents yeah yeah that that it doesn't matter where you get it from there will be someone in your life who can support you um and that turns very literal in this book but um yeah i just i just really like this character of miss honey because she is that sunshine through the clouds and it's it's yeah really good for a kid's book yeah so there's this great scene where Miss Honey is like, oh, you don't have to know everything first off. And then uh, as she's asking questions, slowly realizes that Matilda is a genius. Yeah. And, and on a much higher level and should not even be here despite her age and everything. Yeah. Uh, so she's asking her multiplication, like time tables, she blitzes through them. And then she's doing like double digit multiplication, which I don't think I could do if you asked me to in my head, like just 19 Absolutely by 13. Absolutely not. No, definitely couldn't. Um, I really like this this bit in the movie where she does it as a joke and she's she says, I can't remember the number she says, but a three-digit number times a two-digit number and the rest of the class laughs and then you just hear Matilda very, very quietly say the answer. I just think it's so perfect, that scene. Yeah, I just love it. It's so good. It's adorable and she realises that, she, that she's got a prodigy on her hands here and so her first thing that she does is to get out of the room and go and find... She's like... I like the description in the book because it says, uh, even though she knows that Trunchbull normally doesn't have time for this sort of thing, she feels like this is worth going and, ta- and discussing. I just love that they that there's an adult who realises the power of this one small child and, and, and how important it is that they be at a place that suits their level. And that gesture becomes even stronger when you've read the whole book and you know the relationship between her and Trunchbull mm. because the fact that she would go and even try is like... Yeah, really beautiful and really strong. Yeah. This is the point in the book where we first meet Miss Trunchbull and we're introduced to her. I love the description of her, like her coat and the belt and the breeches and everything. It's just such a non-traditional villain figure, if you know what I mean. Like a lot of those uh, female villains these days tend to be, you know, thin and wiry and athletic and uh, it's a a different idea of power, but I love what Roald Dahl, his envisaging of, of that sort of character. Yeah, without also being negative because of her body type no exactly because she's an olympic winning athlete she's she's strong she's she's big and strong because she's an athlete there is a reason people fear her yeah um which is really good as well they've they've faithfully redone that in the in the movie um she basically wears the same thing the green smock and 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 funnily enough in the musical as well like that the look of her is pretty consistent i think it's so iconic and it's the yeah. same as Mr. Wormwood and his terrible suits. I think both of those images are so... Um, and detailed in the yeah, book. Yeah, in detailed in the book. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, oh, you don't really want to change it. Um, whereas other characters you can really just change around a little bit. But, yeah, those those two particularly are just so funny in the book and the movie. I love the way that Dahl writes his descriptions of characters. Because normally cause he does it in a very basic manner because he'll, he'll literally just spend a paragraph and he'll describe them and, and what they're wearing and how they look and normally if I think of a book that does that I'm like oh, okay here, here's the part where we get described the character but totally. he does it with the personality and all these you know the kind of way that he uses language and manipulates words to kind of have different like syllables and bits like that and it's just well the description isn't just a description no. for you to know that it's a green it's jacket. coloured and it's gross and to and let you know that it's a green jacket because it reflected this element of their personality. Yeah, it looked like pond scum and stuff like that. And he uses like dirt words that kids really engage with. Yeah. And things like that. Just uh, stuff that's on their level, but that adults also really appreciate. I, I, I always marvel at his style of writing, but like I love that again. Because it's, it's not for kids. Like it's I, it's kid friendly, but it's not for kids. No. Like I read the book again, and it's probably the twenty third time I've read it, and I still 
laughed out loud. I think we've mentioned before talking about Roald Dahl that when you read his books, you feel like you're getting away with something. Yes, that's such a good as a description. Kid. Yeah, well, because he makes up uh, like kid friendly. I don't know, snot juggler and, and it's not a swear Snot's word. Breeze. Yeah, it's not a swear word, but it's launched at the children by Trunchbull like it's a swear word. So as a kid you're like, ooh, it's a bit it's a bit naughty. I'm not mm. maybe I'm not supposed to be reading this, you know? Yep, so we get this bit with Trunchbull and uh, obviously by now we know that she is an awful person and I like the the, the visual of the um, the chokey in the back of her uh, office and everything. <laughs> it's terrible. Like, oh, God, that any so teacher horrible. might have anything like this. And, and obviously the, the character is wildly exaggerated. Yeah. It's uh, a real life, any real life. Figure. And they talk about this, this sort of stuff that she does that, well, who would believe you? If you go home and tell your parents that she threw a child over the fence with by pigtails, they're not going to believe you. Which, um, yeah, is that is another is another just like it's gently kind of bringing this idea in the, of like some kids have parents who are abusive and and that won't listen to them. But yeah, I like that that description of her uh, like who would believe you? It's yeah. uh, it allows you to get away with a lot in the book. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. So Miss Honey uh, next resorts to going to talk directly to the parents because maybe they'll listen. Yeah. She's just, I guess she's ah. just, yeah. She's just hoping there's someone in this little girl's life who will treat her the way that she should. Obviously, she gets a pretty similar response from the Wormwoods as she does from uh, from Miss Trunchbull. And in our show, that manifests in a dance number. <laughs> uh, which is the best kind of yeah. number. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Why not just sing about it? I'm going to tell Miss Honey what I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's really good. I like the invite. Yeah. Just that, it's so weird because, like, no teacher these days would go to a parent's house and be like, hey, your kid's really smart. Like, what are you going to do about it? Oh, there's so many things in this movie. Like, when she invites Matilda to her house, I'm like, stranger danger. (laughs) (laughs) Working with children check. No. (laughs) You would lose your job. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So she gets a pretty negative response from the Wormwood family. They're just annoyed that she's interrupted their programs for the evening. Which is very funny. I like the little touch in the movie of her leaving the book in the statue as she disappears. Yeah. I think it's Moby Dick. No, it's uh, Wind of the Willows. Yes, no, you're right. So, and later on, she's reading Moby Dick. Is it? So, do we get the miracle the first, like the the moving of the water before or after Bruce Bogtrotter? Because I think it's Bogtrotter next, isn't it? I think Bogtrotter's next. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember, but I think that's right. So we get the next. We come to uh, another good trunchable scene with Bruce Bogtrotter. Uh, so, uh, basically she's found this kid eating chocolate cake and he's the very stereotypical, you know, like giant, you know, fatty at school who, who loves cake and everything. I like the way he's portrayed because he, he's kind of like, he thinks he can get away with it. Yeah. Um, but she knows that he's the one that eats the cake and her punishment is to make him eat a whole cake. And the book describes, everyone's like, oh, he's never going to do it. He's never going to do it. And then bit by bit, they're like, he's going to do it. Yeah. And he's just eating this whole cake. I, I actually, this is a bit where I prefer the book. Um, cause it describes him, everyone is being super negative about it. And then they're like, he gets into a rhythm and everyone starts chanting for him and it just builds to this amazing crescendo and, and, and everyone's standing up and chanting Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. And finally he's finished the whole cake and kind of has this victory. And then she slams the glass plate on his head. Yeah. This is one of my favorite songs in the musical. Yeah. It's one of the most powerful bits, I reckon. It's glorious. Um, it's the pre-act break, isn't it? It's the end of act one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um it's it's really used as this like the the small can overcome 
the big absolutely and, it's yeah. the two kind of the two big numbers for the kids is this number and then the end revolting yeah where they really triumph against the grown-ups and it is like just wonderful it gives you chills when you're watching it yeah so after this, um, Matilda, this is where we first get this scene of uh, Matilda's telekinesis. So she ends up uh, in class and her... Uh, why have I blanked on her friend? Lavender. So Matilda and Lavender end up in class and they've, they've kind of come up with this plan. I guess they're inspired by Hortensia um, to kind of rebel against Miss Trunchbull. And so Miss Trunchbull takes one period a, a, a week in each class and they decide, and she has this jug of water that they demand she have in every every class. And so Lavender, uh, they found this newt outside and they put it into her water glass as like a prank. And so, uh, of course, she drinks the water and then notices it and then doesn't notice that the, the thing is in her glass, which seems baffling. Yeah. Uh, but, well, she's crazy, so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then it happens that uh, she starts basically accusing Matilda. Um, Matilda of uh, doing all these things. She's also got this grudge against her because by now she's found out that the car Mr. Wormwood sold her was a total dud. Yeah. And so she starts accusing Matilda and Matilda gets very defensive and angry and I like that she stands up here. She's not afraid to be like, I did not do this. And um, the angrier she gets, the you feel that she, so she starts to feel this emotion and this water thing, this glass of water that's on the desk, she moves it with her mind and tips it over and the new uh, gets on Mrs. Trentwell's shoulder and she's... Panicking and all over the place, and it's very funny. It's a moment of, of victory, I guess, for the kids. It's one of these these first uh, big wins that they have over her. And yeah, so I was a little surprised when I was reading this. I was like, she has telekinesis. Like I, I kind of wasn't expecting it to go there. It is kind of a. It's a late. It's a late plot development yeah. in yeah. the course of because it's. I think the book does mention it very briefly early on, right? She does something at home that that. Maybe she shuts Oh, that the... she's... Un... No, no, that's in the film. That's she the accidentally film. Yeah, she blows the... up the TV. I don't think it's flagged oh, in the no, book. Yeah, I think no, in the that's book it's in the third act. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's no, very I'm much late the, information. I'm thinking of the, the TV book. in the film, which is that early hint that it's going to yeah. happen. Uh, but you don't get any of that in the book then. Um, so this is the first time... And they call it... The, I like the chapter title, The First Miracle. Yeah, I really also like here in the book how kind Miss Honey is. Yeah, she, she doesn't believe her, but she lets her show her anyway. They have very different reactions in the book to the film, to the mm. musical, actually. Yeah. Like the Miss Honey, you know, witnessing the miracle is actually quite different in all three versions mm. of the story. Yeah, so this is what happens immediately after, and this is one of those big points of difference. So uh, in the book, uh, Miss Honey uh, asks her, like, she comes up, I guess Matilda initiates, so she decides that she wants to tell uh, Miss Honey. And she goes, she's like, I did that. And she's like, it's okay, you don't have to say that just because an adult made you feel bad. And she's like, no, I can I can do it. I can move things with my mind. And then she's like, can you do it again? And so she very, over the course of a couple of pages, like builds herself up and it's really well described. And she does it. She tips over this water glass and suddenly like, okay. Yeah. And uh, in the film, nothing happens. She doesn't uh, believe her for No, she doesn't believe her. And then, few scenes. Yeah, yeah. and while well, she asks her to do it again and she can't do it. Um, and I think it's because at that point she's just not, you know, it's a new and she hasn't learned to control it. And so, uh, she's like, it's okay. You know, it's one of those things where you, you do something once and then when you want to show people, it doesn't happen the same way. And so it's. And like, I like that in that moment, Matilda sort of realizes she's being patronized a little bit. Um, and she says, oh, you know, it's not like that, but yeah. okay. Cause then that's like reinforcing that, like Matilda being kind of a grown up as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so this kind of, we kind of veer off here in the movie. Well, it's the same. They go same back to issue, this Same starting point, different routes. Yeah. Following. So, and then the movie, they end up in 
Miss Trunchbull's house. And it becomes Home Alone. Yeah. yeah. So, the re- so the reveal is that, that um, uh, it's mentioned very well in the movie that uh, Miss Honey has a, a dark secret that she doesn't want to tell anyone. And that secret uh, is revealed here in conversation that she is Mrs. Trunchbull's uh, niece. Yeah. And uh, her father and mother both died when she was young. Uh, her mother died, I think... When she was two or Yeah, something. when she was two, and then father when she was five. But uh, I think after she was two, that's when Mrs. Trunchbull came to, to yeah. like, live with them um, because her father was a doctor and needed to go and work and things like that. Uh, and obviously she started making this poor Miss Honey, little baby Miss Honey's life uh, a living hell. And then her father died mysteriously while she was five and they thought it was suicide, which is a dark thing to go into for, yeah. for a kid's... Well, uh, for a stand, what is dark. ostensibly a kid's story. Yeah, um, and they keep that in the movie, which I was yep. surprised about. Yeah, um, they also keep in the movie. Actually, they're quite um, explicit about it. So in the book, um, Matilda says, "Well, what did she do to you?" And Miss Honey says, "I don't want to talk about it." And so you know, bad things happen. But in the movie, there's a line where Miss Trunchbull says, "I've broken your arm before. I'll do it again." Yeah, and you're like, "Oh my god, she actually beat her." And you know, as a kid, I guess that kind of you wouldn't really pick up on that. But as an adult, I was like, that is intense. <laughs> yeah, very. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's really the abuse is more implied. Something that the... you don't see a lot anymore these days, which I think is a bit of a shame because when you don't mention it explicitly, you kind of give it power and, yeah. and this this weird kind of sense that it's not okay to talk about, especially for a kid. And so seeing this movie would be a good. Yeah, I just love this movie as a message to kids that you need to a talk about it that it's okay that there will be someone in your life you can turn to and and that just because you're in a situation with your family doesn't mean that you can't escape it. At some point, you will be able to escape it. Yeah. The implication yeah. is obviously that Mrs. Trunchbull somehow killed... Killed her father, yeah. yeah. Which is very, very strange, um, but uh, they don't explicitly say what happened at any point. No. Um, but it is very heavily implied. Yeah. So after this kind of this link between them is revealed, the movie goes in a, a, a total tangential direction. It is very Home Alone. That was exactly <laughs> what I thought when I saw it. Miss Honey lives next door or nearby in this little rundown cottage because she doesn't have any of the, her father's inheritance money because Mrs. Trunchbull is now living in the big mansion house where she is supposed to live. And Miss Trunchbull's also taking her wages to pay for having looked after her as a child. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't even have her wages. No. And basically, so they initiate a break-in to try it because Matilda's just like, well, we'll go in and get the things that you want because that's, you know, you take revenge on people who yeah. wrong you. And they go into, with the aim of going back to, to get her father's paintings and this doll, which was really important to her. And so they go into the house and, and a, there's a chase scene ensues. They don't really get away with any of it, but it does. And I like the very, when once they have escaped from uh, Miss Trunchbull and they're outside the house, Miss Honey's like, don't ever go back into that house again until it's like, okay. And then looks back at the house and you're like, we're coming back here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. The book kind of just keeps going on as normal. And it pretty much skips to the point at the end. It just skips this segment of the movie really. Um, yeah. And this goes, is added in the movie. Yeah. yeah. It goes straight to that classroom scene where, um, well, she, well, she, she kind of goes and develops her telekinetic powers to take revenge on. Yeah. So she practices. Yeah. yeah. So in the book, Matilda, um, everything she does to scare Miss Trunchbull away, which is her end plan, it all happens in the classroom. In the movie, it happens, she goes back to the house and she uses her telekinetic powers once she's developed them. She uses them to scare Miss Trunchbull by, um, there's a painting of Miss Honey's father. Magnus. Yeah, in the upstairs and she, she, you know, makes the lights flicker, she makes the clock chime 
and then she makes this painting which has been um, replaced with the painting of Miss Trunchbull. She makes um, this painting come down, float down the stairs and take its place back above the mantle. Um, But that doesn't happen in the book. Instead, she asks Miss Honey three questions. What did Miss Trunchbull call your father? What did your father call Miss Trunchbull? And what did they call you? Um, And it was in the book, it's just her name. It's just Miss Honey's name. But in the movie, they add this nickname, which I think is a good addition. Yeah, Bumblebee. And she has a piece of chalk right on the board. Agatha, this is Magnus. Give my Bumblebee or give my Jenny her money back. Um, I think in the book, it's a lot more um, elegant the way that kind of revenge is taken. But in the film, I can understand why they needed to expand it and and make it this whole, like, you know, there's balls coming down the steps and, you know, basically Miss Trunchbull's led to believe that her house is haunted and it scares her off and then there's a lot of food fighting at the school so that all the kids can, you know, have their revenge. So it works really well in both um, genres, but it's quite different. I think from one of the biggest things when when I finished reading this and I'm thinking how are they going to adapt it into a film is because Roald Dahl's structure is not always like 100% you know conflict resolution it often it just deviates in terms of where its peaks and troughs are and so I was like okay I wonder how they're going to do this but obviously they've extended it with this like action scene in the mm. middle to kind of give it a bit of oomph and, which and, works really well for yeah, the film yeah. the movie it, has a really good through line which I think the book sometimes doesn't have sometimes yeah. it's um, like capsules of story yeah um, where it's not linear in places, it like kind of jumps. Yeah, he tends to write short chapters. Yeah, that kind of sit on their own in some in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there is one overall story, but of course, it'll jump periods of time, which in a movie you sometimes can't. You have to show that through line. At this point, so the book has gone straight to this, and the film eventually follows this on. So she also retrieves the doll. Uh, we should mention from yeah. Missy, yeah, Missy yeah, doll. doll. Yeah. Uh, from the house in the middle of a very windy storm. She climbs up very high on that house to, to get this back when she's... I kept thinking, why aren't you using your magic powers to get yourself up on that roof <laughs> yeah. in a safer way? <laughs> yeah. But she's very brave and, and courageous, and I like that. Um, she steals the chocolates, the addition yeah. of the chocolate box. Nice touch, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The, one of the things that her that they see in the house is this chocolate box, which her father used to... Uh, Jenny's father used to share a chocolate with her every night. I'm like, really? You shared a chocolate? You can get one each? <laughs> yeah. There were plenty there. Yeah. Uh, and so she steals one and gives back the doll and the chocolate to Miss Honey the next morning at school. And so she's like, oh, and you, you can tell you can tell that there's a mother thing happening. And I, I kind of knew where that plot line was going to end up eventually. Yeah. Um, I like when Miss... So Miss Trunchbull then meets them outside and she says, I'm taking your class today. And this is when you're getting into the final moments of the film you i love how disheveled she looks when she comes to school the morning after being haunted even though she's she's fairly sure she knows that it was a child because she finds matilda's ribbon um and she thinks you know and she sniffs it and she sniffs it which is weird (laughs) she still looks disheveled she still looks like she's been um in the wars yeah yeah and she's still she's still perturbed by what happened she's not a hundred percent sure she knows what's going on i like the speech that she gives here uh, so in the in the film, she's she comes into this classroom and, and gets all the kids to line up, and I, lo- I love that bit of her shoving all like she shoves four desks at a time against the wall and sends them flying across the room, and then gets all the kids to line up. And she's like, sometimes bad things in life will happen to you, and it's a test of character. I have character. It's this really good like intimidating villain speech right at the end. Yeah. Uh, she's pretty sure it was Matilda, and she basically just like goes mental as as all this stuff is happening. So Matilda starts using her powers. 
we've already mentioned the writing on the board and everything. That, that I like that that still doesn't. It's not that's not the moment where she's defeated. She's like, oh, she doesn't give up. She's just relentless, and she's like yeah. grabbing kids and trying to like she tries to throw this one boy out the window like a javelin, which is very funny. And then Matilda uses her powers to kind of spin him around, do a couple of tricks, and then bring him back into the room. Very funny. Um, I really liked in the movie the kids in the class reading what's on the board. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Um, yeah, I think it's like kind of creepy, and it both like adds to the creepiness, but also takes away from it because. They're obviously little kids who are sounding out the words because they've just learned to read. Um, yeah, I love that bit in the movie. It's so good. Yeah, really good. And so eventually they do manage to take Trunchbull down. She, like, charges through the door and they, and Matilda starts uh, using her powers to, like, chuck f- food from the lockers at her. And kids who are in the hallway in other classes see this and they're like, okay, it's time. Game on. <laughs> and they finally, everyone gets their revenge on the awful principal and they just pelt her with food. And this scene of her running down the corridor and into her car just trying to get away is glorious. It's it's a, a really nice climax and, and victory moment. Yeah. In the book, there's a little addendum on here where she doesn't come in the next day. And then at the end of the day, the deputy principal, because he hasn't heard from her, he goes to her house and she's just disappeared. So not so much of a resolution as, as, as there is here, like where they chase her off. But um, the, the implication is that, yes, she was scared off by the writing on the, yeah. the wall and that she was guilty because he says, I'll get you as, it, as you got me. And so the implication is, yeah, she's worried that he's going to kill her like she killed him. Yeah. So um, it's really horrible. Yeah. Um, I like the, the film, just like Danny DeVito's narration is just like, and she disappeared and was never seen again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, voiceover. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Miss Honey gets her house and her inheritance. Yeah, which is very nice. I like that they, they go straight to that shot of it being nice and, and painted and rebuilt, rebuilt and remodeled again. It's very beautiful. So the difference here, the book, uh, Mr. Trilby is the new school president and... Principal. School president? <laughs> school principal. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he eventually he decides to give Matilda that uh, promotion. She gets advanced to the, her correct grade, which is in our show. Miss Honey becomes the principal, yeah. which is what happens in the movie. Yeah, the yeah. film happens to that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's they they right. only mention in the narration. You never see her being a principal. But. Yes. But they I mean, say that they have to add a second, they have to add a high school because no one wants to leave, which I yeah. think is really cute. Yeah. That's super cute. Yeah, I'm imagining Mr. Trilby is cut purely for time purposes, like you don't need to introduce a brand new character <laughs> yeah. in the, the, the very conclusion of Sorry, the film. Sorry, Trilby. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that does happen, a big difference here, is that Matilda loses her powers in the book. I had assumed that was going to happen in the film. I was like, okay, well, they're going to, you know, they're tied to her anger and, and in- feeling of injustice towards her. And so naturally, once that is gone, so will they be. Uh, and she doesn't, it's just in the film, they're like, the, the narration says she never had to use her powers again. Except for sometimes. And she's just using it to bring a book across the room to her. Yeah. It makes no difference to the plot because there's nothing that happens after this. Yeah. But I think it's like a slightly more magical ending to the movie to have her still have them. Yeah. Yeah, There's something lovely about that magic being tied to her inner turmoil and her frustration and not feeling heard and all of that stuff. And that's how it manifests. I think there's something really beautiful about that not being needed anymore because she's in a functional home in a functional school setting she's being stimulated and she's thriving and so it leaves her because it's she's no longer in turmoil yeah the reason, i think that's a really powerful yeah. idea i like that miss honey explains as her intelligence is in, her brain power is now being used elsewhere to, yeah. actually, to actually learn at her level so that she doesn't you know 
It's not yeah. being directed towards magic mental powers anymore. Yeah. yeah. Which is not something you can study. Yeah. At a higher degree level that I know <laughs> of. Um, the final plot point uh, then is that so as she's spending more time with Miss Honey uh, that the Wormwoods are like we're going to Guam because the yeah. FBI have, or the police have finally caught them yeah. <laughs> for doing this stolen car parts bit. This bit's so sad. I mean, it's it's a victory, but I do like in the movie that they that Miss Wormwood, Mrs. Wormwood, does say, "Oh, you're the only daughter I've ever had." I and mean, I just never understood you. Yeah, I never understood like you, yeah. and it's more played as. They, I mean, they still are not nice people, but they do realise in the moment when Matilda's asking to stay that that is what's best for her. So it is actually done as like a... Do you think that I thought they were just like, oh, we don't need this complication, just leave her here? I think there's a, there's a very slight suggestion that they're doing it, that, that it is like the one altruistic thing that they've done. It's a mutually agreeable situation. The narration does say it was the one nice thing they ever did for yeah. her. Yeah, I think... I think it's suggested in the movie that it's slightly altruistic, yeah. not entirely selfish. In the movie, it's entirely selfish. I love this line. In the book, sorry. I love the line in the movie. She's like, she's like um, I have the adoption papers right here. I've had them ever since I knew how to Xerox. Yeah. Like, that's just such a great line. Yeah. Yeah. And so they sign the forms and Miss Honey becomes her mum, which is kind of the only place they have left to go. Yeah. Because those parents are irredeemable. And another point in the movie where I cried. Yeah, me too. Hand up. <laughs> just showing showing her like having picnics with yeah, her. Yeah, just having cartwheels and sometimes like, oh, so honey. So beautiful. She's got love in her life. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And, and that's the end of the story. We get yeah. a happy ever after, which is very nice. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so having gone through all of that, uh, we need to recommend uh, and give a thumbs up or thumbs down for the book and the film. Uh, Lois? Oh, thumbs up for both. Yeah, they're they're both really um, great. I mean, I had to say what one was better than the other, but I mean, that's just for our show. <laughs> uh, I really love both of them. Uh, I'll also giving thumbs up for both of them. Uh, love the film, love the book. Uh, Roald Dahl is unique and I, I wonder whether there will ever be another like him anytime ever yeah uh, and the same goes for Quentin Blake I, I want I always make sure I'm like I need to give this guy credit because it's just a magical mm. illustration and, and really adds a lot of depth to those books um, especially for the younger readers uh, and the film is a great adaptation it's just so perfect and, and in a, a different uh, but in its own way but something that keeps the soul of the original which is what makes a great adaptation yeah yeah I agree with both of you I put thumbs up to both I think they're both brilliant experiences bit different here or there but as you say they they both keep the truth of what Dahl I think was was trying to create and they're just a delight both of them and thumbs up for the musical yeah I was gonna say I was like me and Lois will definitely give a thumbs up for the musical as well I, like you can give it a thumbs up but you're in it so I'm a little bit much, biased yeah but uh, yeah again we've got to reiterate if you haven't and it's coming to a city near you anytime go see it it's, it's well worth worth it. it's worth the ticket price yep. definitely well worth it uh, yep, so you can find and contact us at WeReadTheBook at gmail.com, on Twitter at ReadTheBookPod, and on Tumblr at ReadTheBook. No, WeReadTheBook.tumblr.com. WeReadTheBook.tumblr.com, every time. <laughs> every we time. write it down. Uh, we're also on Instagram, we're on a lot of social media, everywhere except Facebook, really. Yeah. And uh, you can, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we appear bi-weekly, usually on about a Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, Tuesday, so, Wednesday, West Australian time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so make sure you subscribe, and that way it'll download automatically to your device of choice. We're also on Stitcher now. Yes. If you're an Android user, my God, um, you guys are epic. Yeah. So um, yeah, if you if you prefer Stitcher, we are on there now. Sorry, we're both Mac users, so we didn't realize that <laughs> there was a different service for a while. Yeah. So look us up. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that's all for this time. I've been Adam Postule Heap. I'm Marika Maggot. 
And I'm Lois Fowl Carmichael Mitchell. We will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Content has never been less important. So you have got to be you got to learn to stand up and stick out from the crowd. The shot of that in the movie of her flying through the air and grabbing the flowers as she's landing is... Hilarious. So funny. Yeah. And then she turns around and I was like, yeah. The, the 90s green screen in this movie oh, is very strong. It's, it is, but it's so great. It's it just really, really good. It so well.